0: Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Great to have you with us. We'll give you a break from uh, talking about football coaches, and we'll talk a little basketball here for a few minutes. Our guest for today's show, by the way, is Rich Hollenberg, our buddy from ESPN. He, of course, uh, calls a lot of games in the Big 12, which is uh, one of the top leagues in college hoops, and he's seen some good stuff. So, uh, Rich, will be coming your way uh, here in just a few minutes. Chris, what's going on, man?
1: Oh man, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I know we were supposedly on holiday, but uh, watched a ton of games, got to a game or two, and and uh, saw the second-to-last uh, undefeated team in the country go down. And I know Rich saw the last one go down, Houston. So I'm eager to ask him about that. But it's been crazy so far. I mean, crazier than I think anybody could have imagined. If you look at just the last three days and the top five is. If you're in the top five, you've got a target on your back and uh, people are connecting
0: yeah it's a tough place to be let's talk about uh, some of the carnage among highly ranked teams there was tuesday when number one purdue lost 88 72 at nebraska it was nebraska's first win over a top-ranked team in 41 years they shot the lights out they went 14 of 23 from three. Second second-ranked houston suffered his first loss of the season as you mentioned at iowa state 57 53 uh, that game was kind of a rock fight and that, that was the last of the unbeaten to go down uh, then on wednesday you had fifth-ranked tennessee uh, coming up short at Mississippi State 77-72 in a game that was close down to the end. Ninth-ranked Oklahoma falls at TCU, eighty to seventy-one, and Butler won at number eleven, Marquette, 69-62. There were some winners, but not very many. Fourth-ranked UConn and number six Kentucky both survived. Uh, the Huskies won at Xavier, eighty to seventy-five, and Kentucky beat Missouri at home, ninety to seventy-seven, back on Tuesday. So an interesting week for highly ranked teams well, it goes without saying, and uh, of course, there's still another cycle of games before we get to the next rankings. And rankings are what they are, but you got to figure they're going to maybe. be some shuffling when the new ap poll comes out on monday
1: yeah it's crazy for just the fourth time in college basketball history and the first time in two decades the top three teams in the ap poll lost and this is the first time in history uh that four top five teams have lost to unranked teams in a two-day span so we're talking about unprecedented stuff here If you look at the net ratings in the Ken Palm, these losses haven't hurt those teams too badly, and I don't think they will. I know Tennessee, for example, lost at Mississippi State in a game where they started poorly, played really well in the second half and had their chances to win it. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, that's why Rick Barnes makes the big bucks. I, I don't think I could sleep after a loss like that because that was a quad one win and those are so valuable. Uh, to have but I gosh when I saw the Kansas score at UCF I just could not believe it and I, I I mean Nebraska beating Purdue I don't know it's not stunning because like you said they did shoot the ball really well but I don't know it's crazy Purdue has has a great record against uh, quad one teams Uh, But then they they have a poor record in the NCAAs uh, getting beat by teams that have no business on the floor with them. So I just don't know what it is. It's really tough because Matt Painter's a great coach. He runs a great program. Um, Let's see. I'm looking here. Purdue has six quad one wins, more than anybody in the country. They're six and two. So – yeah, sometimes th- they seem like they're invulnerable, and other times they seem like they're very beatable. And, and I, I just don't get that, I don't know, lack of consistency. Or I, I, I know it that they, they don't want for preparation. Like I said, Matt Painter is one of the best in the business, but I just don't get it. I do know this uh, a coach once told me, and this is not rocket science, but if you want to stop one person, uh in a basketball game if you want to devote all your efforts to stopping one person you can do it even if it's zach Eady. so you know like fairly dickinson triple teams him and dares their guards to shoot it and they couldn't throw it in the ocean from the pier hmm. so uh sometimes you takes you takes your chances and uh if, if you make sure that zach Eady doesn't beat you and you're just going with the percentages because Zach Edie is, is you know, he's an automatic bucket. If, if he gets the ball where he wants it in the post, and then you just take your chances, you go with the percentages and you hope that their guards miss three point shots. And you know, when they get beat, that's usually what happens.
0: I've watched a lot of sec, uh, called a couple sec games, uh, of course do the games for Vanderbilt. We saw Alabama at our place on Saturday to open up league play. Then we went to LSU on Tuesday. Um, a couple thoughts from that league I, I did see the tennessee and mississippi state game and volunteers uh just a uh, bad turnover at the end when they they still had a chance to to get the game to overtime or or maybe potentially win
1: uh and by their smartest player
0: right exactly exactly and, and mississippi Scobie, state just, just I, got a Mississippi i could not away.
1: believe mm-hmm. that I just, where was it going with that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alabama's incredible.
0: Alabama's looked pretty good so far. Uh, they blew out South Carolina on Tuesday. I, that team is always just so interesting to me the way they play for Nate Oates. Uh, everything's either right at the rim or it's three pointers, and sometimes they pass up shots right at the rim to, to shoot three pointers. They have a lot of bigs, but they're not really back to the basket. Play down low, bigs. They're they're the modern step outside and and take long range shots. So um, I feel like the team maybe they're they're very good. And Mark Sears is a fantastic guard, uh, but maybe. It's still a little bit of development to do among their big guys and they could be really good I think by the time the end of the season gets here Auburn is 2-0 and uh, Georgia um, beat Arkansas in that game last night as we record this and Ole Miss handed Florida one hundred three eighty five beat down uh, down in Oxford and I'll see Ole Miss on Saturday Vanderbilt we go down there to play um, so some interesting results already in the SEC what stood out to you so far
1: well I couldn't believe uh The ease at which Tennessee handled Ole Miss, uh, Chris Beard, I was in the post-game press conference, he said they just kicked us. And if he wasn't on camera, he'd have probably said they kicked our ass uh, (laughs) because they did. And then they went back, and and, uh, there's another expression they use in golf after you've made a bogey, and when you smoke a drive on your next hole, I am not going to say that one because we've got a clean rating on our show, <laughs> but I think they had a little bit of that. Yeah. It starts with red, right? And uh, I, I think they had a little bit of that when they laid it on Florida. I just couldn't believe it because Florida had had played Kentucky, you know, toe to toe in Gainesville. But I think the road is going to be a very dangerous place. It is in every conference, but the SEC. Somebody made the comment last night. Uh, I think it was Jimmy Dykes. Everywhere you look, there's a veteran coach and coach that's had success at other places and it's kind of translated that to here. Even Georgia uh, with Mike White, they had to literally rebuild the program after Tom Green left and so many people transferred out. Same with LSU. Uh, when Matt McMahon took over down there last year, he had one walk-on on the roster. So, uh, you know, you saw them up close and personal. So yeah, up and down the, the league. And then next year they had Texas and Oklahoma, which are both ranked right now. So it's going to be brutal. I, I think the, I really like the net rankings uh, as opposed to the old RPI because the net takes a lot of variables into consideration. And, and you look and Tennessee was fifth going into that loss at Mississippi State last night and they only dropped the sixth. So You know, a loss like that doesn't kill you in the eyes of the NCAA and its selection committee. So there's just going to be a lot of losses. There's just so many good conferences, and they're going to be even better next year as conference shifting just goes on steroids and blows up
0: yeah i was thinking uh you know and we're talking about getting ready to talk about the big 12 and that that league has added some teams they're going to add some more it's going to take me a while just to figure out who is where i mean we we know all the shifting that's (laughs) going to take place especially with the demise of the pac 12 But it's going to take a little while just to get used to all these teams being in different places and and, and really different and and strange places uh, from where a lot of them have been traditionally. So, yeah, that's coming down the road, but uh, one more season of it like it is. And you mentioned Tom Crean. I saw him on the football game the other night when uh, Michigan won the national championship. He, of course, um, is married to Joni Harbaugh who is right. who is jim harbaugh and, and john harbaugh's sister and jack harbaugh's daughter and uh they met when they were all at, you know at, during this their dad's days at western kentucky uh, and, and tom crean was an assistant coach back then
1: that's crazy uh, by the way i have a list of next year's roster if you want <laughs> i'll give credit to one of my uh, associate editors patrick stevens he uh, he keeps up with that stuff. Let's put it that way. No, he keeps uh, up with
0: a lot of stuff, as we found out when we yeah. had him on our show.
1: And he really does to an obsessive degree. I I wonder about his his health. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm kidding. He yeah. He, he's got better stuff to do. He loves baseball too, and uh, but he sent me a list, and I I put it into our format. I'll send it to you if you want it. It's it's insane. Uh, I got to looking at it, and and I'm like holy, holy God, Cal and Stanford are going to be in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is ridiculous. What would Bill Walton say? It's not the Conference of Champions. (laughs) But they're on the wrong ocean.
0: Right, the wrong coast. (laughs) The Wooden Award midseason top 25 came out this week. We talked about Zach Edey a moment ago. He leads the way, of course, from Purdue. He would be only the second two-time winner. He's averaging 22 points and 10 rebounds, has nine double-doubles. The only other winner twice of that award is Ralph Sampson back in the early 80s in 82 and in 83. Another big guy and uh, over seven feet, and he was a great player of Virginia, of course, All-American there. But, yeah, he won the Mid- Wooden Award twice. Also, Kansas, uh, Kevin McCullough and Hunter Dickinson, Kyle Filipowski from Duke. R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott from North Carolina. A couple freshmen are on there. Kentucky's Reed Shepard and Jacoby Walker of Baylor and also Kentucky's Antonio Reeves. So uh, a few of the highlights from the uh, Wooden Award midseason top 25.
1: Yeah, Edie's my guy right now, barring an injury or, or some kind of catastrophic collapse, which I don't see happening. He's really elevated his game. He seems more mobile than he ever has been. One thing I was surprised to see, Dalton Connect of Tennessee, made the list even though he had kind of struggled once defenses started that 37 point game at North Carolina kind of hurt him <laughs> but last night he went crazy on Mississippi State scored 27 points any way you you wanted you know uh four three-pointers including a drive and, and a dunk dunk yeah he can throw it down and he's got a mid-range game so I don't think he can win the award but it was kind of surprising to me that, that he made the cut he does have a chance to win the Jerry West award for small forward of the year uh, I mean uh, the uh, the Dr. J award for small forward of the year if he keeps on playing like he did last night he was unbelievable and uh, so yeah it, it's interesting to see I, I have a vote on the Cousy award and I already had to trim my top 10 down and it's due by Friday so I had to Throw that together, and and uh, I, I wonder who might be the best point guard in the country. But I'll tell you what, Zakai Ziegler right now uh, for Tennessee is, is playing awesome, shooting the ball at, at a high level, and, and, and setting up his teammates. It's incredible when you think about less than a year ago, the guy tore his ACL, and you know he never missed a, a game this season.
0: Our guest this week is always one of our favorites to have on this show. You, of course, see him on TV, on ESPN, on all their platforms, especially calling Big 12 basketball, and he is terrific. Rich Hollenberg, what's going on?
2: Hey, guys. It's great to be back with you. This means that college basketball has officially started. If I get a spot on the Blue Ribbon podcast, then everything is right with the world.
0: And yeah, we've got a Hall of Famer over here, a multiple-time Hall of Famer, and Chris Dortch, so it makes it all How the better, that? huh?
2: I mean, you talk about, like, be. what do they say? Like, you could tell a lot about a person by the people you associate with. So thank you for heeding my begging and pleading to come on this show <laughs> uh, so I could bow down to the now Hall of Famer, Chris Dortch. Oh, man, I'm
1: always glad to have you. And I see that you're in your office, so that means you escaped the frozen tunda of Tundra of Iowa. Tell us about, first of all, your your trip out to the Hilton Coliseum and the red hot, it was cold outside, but the gym was toasty. That was a great game. And I, I loved uh, you on the call and Fran at your side. That's an unbeatable combo in my opinion.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that, Chris. It, it, listen, Hilton Coliseum is one of the, I would say uh, I, I'm not going to put a number on it, but it's on the very short list of best home court atmospheres and advantages in all of college sports. Um, wow! The the students are not back until next week, so they didn't even have student sections. They call them Cyclone Alley in yeah. a, uh behind either basket, and yet it was still sold out. A 6 p.m. local tip. And it was still loud as all get-out. I owe some of my hearing loss at 50-plus years old <laughs> to the loyal and faithful fans at, at Hilton Coliseum. It was an electric environment. Um, another chapter was added to what is famously known as Hilton Magic. And uh, I was glad to, uh, to get the call out of the way when Milan Momchilovich hit it, and then Fran, as he always does, Punctuated it perfectly uh, on the replay because that kid, despite being a freshman, works on that shot. We see yeah. it every time we're there in practice and to use the Dirk Nowitzki references. Yes. Bird references is not damning him with faint praise. This kid is a baller and he will be playing in the NBA sometime soon. Man, that shot was incredible.
1: I, he, he was heavily guarded and he just tossed it in unbelievable
2: yeah uh, and when you say heavily guarded that was the theme of that night and uh, i think that you could put it in in a bottle and say if you think defensive basketball is boring watch this game (laughs) because those are two of the most ferocious defenses the score was in the 50s and i and hopefully everybody watching was on the edge of my seat the whole night
1: that was a great game to watch. Again, you guys did a great job calling it. Um, is the Big Twelve going to be the same meat grinder
2: it's been the last five years or so? Oh, dude, it, it's going to be worse. I mean, for the for the teams, it's better for us as fans. Yeah, <laughs> the best conference in basketball over the course of I, I would say going on five years now, at uh, least the numbers prove out year after year that the Big Twelve is the best conference in basketball. They have Elite at the high, at the high end, Kansas being the top name in that group, but the depth, and I wouldn't go as far this year, Chris, to say that there is no floor in the Big 12. Last year, the final year of only 10 teams being in, you can make that claim. Even the Texas Techs and the West Virginias who really struggled last year, you put them in a non-conference or a tournament-type game, and nobody wants a piece of those teams. This year, I would have come on this morning, guys, and said, UCF, not really good. And then they go ahead and knock off Kansas. That's crazy. So I might be eating my words when all is said and done. But now with, with 14 teams in, it's a little harder to say there is no floor in the Big 12. But you add Houston, you add BYU, you add Cincinnati to an already existing list of really tough teams to play against. And then you look at the numbers. Inside the Big 12, guys, we were digging on some numbers to find out how we could justify what we're saying because Fran and I are calling Houston at TCU on Saturday. And just how tough it is to win on the road in the Big 12, the visiting teams in conference in the Big 12 over the last few years have the worst winning percentage of any conference in basketball. Wow. That shows you just That's how great cool, to your term a a meat grinder a gauntlet that the big 12 has been
0: you mentioned houston and you're going to see him again on saturday and the loss at iowa state notwithstanding how do you like their chances as a final four contender
2: man i love them i think they took a hit when Terrence Arsenault went out with that achilles injury uh just because kelvin sampson works that team so hard and when you when you use the term tough love you could look it up in a basketball dictionary and that's who you would find a picture of his team loves him his staff loves him it's a family affair as you guys probably know in houston kellen is an assistant his son and he's the head coach in waiting his daughter lauren is the ops director there uh wife karen travels to almost every game she was in ames the other night uh it is a real family affair he coaches them as hard as any coach in basketball but he loves them as much as any coach in basketball as well. I think this team at this point in the season is as Final Four worthy as any team that I've seen in person or on television. I I just don't think that very many teams can replicate the defensive pressure and intensity that Houston brings on each and every possession. It is a sight to behold. And then just to see them when they casually go through their shoot-arounds the day of a game, everything is 100%. I mean, their shoot-arounds are like most teams' practices, hmm. and that's saying something. And I think effort and intensity is going to take this team as far as they're going to go. If they can stay healthy and get through this gauntlet that is the Big 12 season, uh, they're going to be as tough as out, uh, an out as anybody in the NCAA tournament
0: you know kansas has had just remarkable consistency under bill self and I, and I saw some analysts saying that the the loss last night exposed some things for the jayhawks but they certainly have the star power to be as good as anybody when the end of the season gets here
2: uh, i think they do and case in point we all went into this season and blue ribbon included in this talking yeah. about hunter dickinson being the player of the year the national player of the year potentially and right now, you'd find a bunch of people inside and outside Big 12 circles who would say Kevin McCullough is yeah. running for player of the year than Hunter Dickinson. And this is a dude, Hunter Dickinson, who opened Big 12 play with a 30 and 11 triple double. So this is a team that is chock full of talent. I love Dewan Harris as a point guard. He is a prototypical pass first point guard, doesn't care to score, but he can when he's called upon. Great, very uh, elite assist-to-turnover ratio. And then they've got the the intangibles, too. They've got the pieces, the, the culture guys, if you will, like K.J. Adams. And they've got a, a young bench, but a bench that's obviously super talented as well. They're going to have their pound of flesh when it's all said and done. Uh, but, again, going back to Kelvin Sampson, I love what he said coming into the season, and I believe I read it in... In the blue ribbon yearbook first when he said look 17 and one's not going to happen anymore we're in the big 12 <laughs> no. and you know what he doubled down on that the other day after the iowa state loss and he said playing in this league is like playing 18 tournament games and wow. that's how difficult it is so houston doesn't expect to go 17 and one kansas should not expect to go 17 and one um you know a five loss six loss big 12 champion is certainly not out of the realm of possibility especially this year with 14 teams instead of 10. right
1: rich before you joined us today kevin and i were talking about next year and i've already one of my assistant editors who keeps up with such things has already sent me a list of the conference shifting and I'm looking at the Big Twelve and, and, and especially based on what you just said. And then you throw in Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. And even though they lose Oklahoma and
2: Texas, look ahead to the future. Uh, is it gonna be more of the same? I think so. I, I and I would not say it's addition by subtraction because Uh, I'm sad, and I know a lot of people inside the Big 12 are certainly upset that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. Um, I love those two programs. I love visiting those two campuses. Norman and Austin are among my favorites. Uh, But when you remove them and say, how do we make up for that loss, how could your mark do any better than bringing in the two Arizona schools and Utah and Colorado? I mean, you look at those schools in terms of their competitiveness right now, they'll be better by virtue of being in the Big 12. And I think the Big 12, to answer your question, will be better (laughs) moving forward. Uh, Arizona is a staple. They're not a blue blood, but I would put them in that group right below a blue blood. Arizona State and Bobby Hurley, I think Bobby won his 150th game as the Arizona State head coach if I'm not uh, mistaken recently Um, he's gonna his recruiting will improve because of that Utah is a tough out seemingly year in year out and now Tad Boyle's got Colorado playing really good basketball again um, I love the fact that you reignite if you will a BYU Utah rivalry within the conference uh, so a lot of things are added by virtue of those four teams coming in, despite the fact that you're not going to you know, shy away from the fact that losing Texas and Oklahoma is a hit that the Big 12 is taking, if nothing then because of the history that they bring to the Big 12 conference and the rivalry that they have between those two schools.
0: Well, our show is always better when we have Rich Hollenberg with us. Thanks, as always, for the time and uh, safe travels. Look forward to catching up with you again down the road.
2: You guys are the best anytime. And again, Chris, a hearty congratulations to you on the Hall of Fame nod. Thank you, good sir
0: well that was rich hollenberg and we always enjoy having him on our show of course a terrific play by play announcer for espn you'll see him on big 12 games including coming up this weekend as he mentioned houston at tcu that's an interesting court at tcu and that's, that's a really nice arena they they've redone that place but you know it's kind of gray and has like the the horn frog scales and and all yeah, that it, exactly. it's really kind of strange you can always
1: tell when you when you you're clicking on the on the channels and and a tcu game is home game comes on you can immediately cuz it just kind of blinds you
0: yeah that that whole thing is kind of weird and you see a few places have gray courts and you think there's something wrong with your TV, and, and it's just, just yeah, the way the court looks. Yeah, do not adjust your set. Right. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets had one that, I, that just, I, I just couldn't even watch their games because it drove me crazy. It felt like I was watching it black and white, but then you see you know, somebody's uniform or sneakers or something to have a bright color on them, and you, and you know that it's just the way the court looks. But uh, a couple other things to get to, Chris, as we uh, close out our show for this week. The Mountain West Conference uh, feels like it's become the best conference in that part of the country. That league is just loaded, led by Utah State and San Diego State, of course, off their uh, final four appearance last year, and both off to 3-0 and starts in league play. They have Nevada, they have Colorado State, Boise State is good. What do you see in that conference?
1: Wow, I, I don't understand. It was great for the West Coast Conference to throw the final two remaining Pac-12 schools, Washington State and Oregon State, a lifeline. But I kind of thought they might align themselves with uh, the Mountain West because that is a really good league. And and to say multi-bid NCAA league doesn't even give it justice. You're talking about four bids, you know, five bids. And you look at some of these teams. Last year, uh, Colorado State was injury plagued. This year they got Isaiah Stevens back, one of the best players in the country. He was hurt last year for a time they're 13 and 3 24 in the net 28 and 10 Palm Utah State totally gutted uh after a coaching change Danny Sprinkle came in from from Montana State took two of his best players with him they're 13 and 1 18 in the net uh San Diego State they're always San Diego State they're number 21 in the net and they've beaten Gonzaga on the road and Nevada where Steve Alford continues to do a good job. They were 22-11 and 11 last year. They've started out 14-1, and one and they're number 28 in the net. So uh, they've got two great guards in Jared Lucas and Kenan Blackshear who decided not to go into the portal and stay in Nevada. So uh, I know we're going to talk about <coughs> the portal later. Sometimes the portal can give us, and, and uh, sometimes it it away, and, and sometimes uh, nobody even – getth in it <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so uh, it's a good thing that for Nevada that their two guards stayed at home and but the the Mountain West is a great league I uh, I, I think they're on Cbsports.com and, and my provider d- does not offer that and that bums me out.
0: Yeah, I watch some of their games on uh, CBS Sports Network. They they show them late at night. I'm usually flipping around looking for some, some more ball to watch when uh, some of the other the <laughs> yeah. you know the early two windows of games are over with. I was like, oh, I think I'll flip over here and see what else I can come up with. Really, the big story in college athletics this week was Nick Saban retiring as Alabama's football coach on Wednesday, and some of the discussion centers around the business of college athletics these days with all the transfers and paying players through NIL it makes you wonder how much of a factor that is and guys like nick saban or coach k or roy williams or jay wright calling it quits there is an age factor and wanting to enjoy life and having made a lot of money certainly uh, makes it easier to step away from those jobs but how do you look at, at those factors in terms of just how things are done in college sports and how much it's changed and some of those old school guys just not really wanting to to do all that anymore
1: Well, first of all, kudos to my buddy Chris Lowe, ex of the Tennessean in Nashville. He and I, when I was at the Chattanooga paper and we covered Tennessee, we traveled to a lot of games together. And he's a bird dog reporter. He broke Nick Saban's retirement. And in his story, he pointed out that apparently Nick has grown weary of the NIL and the portal. And it's really like free agency. And Lord knows Alabama can still recruit with the best and and, and handle their business that way. But it's something that, that Nick Saban just wasn't comfortable with. And obviously he's not gonna hurt for money. He was making $11 million a year. I know it's tough. Uh, you know, I've probably got more year. I know I've got more years uh, <laughs> uh, behind me than ahead of me in terms of uh, not only this business, but of teaching and i hate to think about stepping away and and not working with young people who i think really need our help these days and i'm sure that that weighed on him but uh if you look at it and and it's it's been prevalent in basketball too jim bayhan finally hung it up coach k hung it up roy williams hung it up and i don't think there's any question that the rule changes of nil and uh, the portal and now apparently the portal is just going to be willy nilly with this court ruling. Yeah. Uh, two-time transfers were immediately granted eligibility. You saw one, uh, Jalen Cook, down in, at, at LSU, and I'm not even sure that's fair. But if the NCAA can't legislate and there's the fear of of, of, uh, of litigation, uh, there's going to be no rules. It, it's just going to be you know. A lot of coaching buddies of mine have already referred to it as the wild, wild west. and It's going to be the wilder, wilder west. Uh, and I, for that reason, I don't blame Nick Saban. And, and he's done all you could possibly do. I don't think anybody can match seven national natties, do you?
0: No, especially in this day and age. uh, It's pretty remarkable what he's accomplished. Just think about how competitive the SEC is and just a chance to get into those playoff situations to begin with and then to win big once you get there. Uh, I I don't think anybody will ever match uh, what he accomplished there in in the 17 seasons at Alabama. Uh, It was funny. We were at LSU on Tuesday. We we played – uh, with vanderbilt we played at lsu tuesday night and uh the pete maravich assembly center is right next to tiger stadium and this was before any of the saving stuff went down i was thinking about when i worked sidelines i've been there a couple times to work games and doing sidelines on the field and uh it was when nick saban was coach at lsu and and i was going over to ask one of the uh, staff members for lsu their their game captains uh just kind of get the list of captains so that when I go out to do the coin toss, if I need to fill a little time, I'll have the captains and I I can use that uh, before they actually perform the coin toss. And as I was walking over toward LSU's uh, sideline, Nick Saban was coming the other way and he just gave me the look of uh who the heck are you and and where are you going and and I sort of just turned around and went back toward our sideline and it's like you know what we just I don't think we'll have the captains for this game (laughs) I think that that was the only the only sort of interaction at all I've ever had with with Nick Saban I mean I've I've worked games where he's coached and uh been to a couple games at Alabama and I've uh, seen him at media days and all sorts of stuff but uh, just one of the all-time greats and it's funny going by Tiger Stadium made me think of that and then all that went down the very next day uh with nick saban announcing his retirement in alabama but uh yeah it's it's hard to imagine anybody's going to equal that and he, he joins just some legendary figures in college sports in uh retiring over the last few years and it's been a crazy week for football when you when you think about In the span of just a few hours, Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, and Bill Belichick uh, all leaving football, or at least leaving their longtime spots, not necessarily leaving football in in the case of the other two, but uh, it's just been a a crazy week, and of course, here in Nashville where I am, the Titans and, and Mike Vrabel parted ways, and that's been a huge story, but I just thought it would be interesting to get your take on on Nick Saban and connect it with basketball and just the the business of college sports and the way things are done these days. Mentioned travels. Uh, We had some interesting travel with the the weather, Uh, all the storms that went through the south. We were supposed to fly to Baton Rouge on Monday, and we went out to the airport and we got on the plane and we sat there for probably an hour, hour and a half. And uh, they came on and said, well, we're trying to find a window where we can fly and, and land safely in Baton Rouge. And then a few minutes later, they said, you know what? This flight isn't happening. We're going to postpone and, and just go to Baton Rouge on Tuesday. So we got up early and we, we flew down there about nine o'clock and we had to shoot around and went and played the game. And I mean, it, it all went fine as far as the travel goes. And I wish the game could have gone a little bit better. But it's always interesting to go to LSU because uh, one of the, the folks that I've seen both times have been there for games is Dale Brown, uh, the, the legendary LSU coach. He has his name on the court and uh, you see him walk by and it made me think of all those teams, especially back in the 80s where he took teams of his that weren't necessarily his most talented teams and took him to the final four, especially that, that 86 team with, with Ricky Blanton and, and that whole crew. Uh, just a legendary figure around LSU basketball and still very visible around that program
1: he was great and, and he would say and do anything and some people thought he might have even have been a little wacky one of the best stories ever the the sec media days used to be a a traveling comedy show they had sonny smith of auburn Wimp Sanderson of alabama dale brown of lsu and hugh durham of georgia and one day we were in a conference room uh listening to the coaches talk and Hugh Durham was on the podium and all of a sudden this air conditioner went on and it made this huge noise and Hugh stopped for a minute. And then he, he got this little twinkle in his eyes and a smile on his lips. And, and, and he said, Hmm, must be Dale Brown's spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's funny what you can see when you travel on the road. Uh, Uh, There's always uh, memories uh, to be had with veterans like you and I that have that have logged our share of miles.
0: Yeah, we sure have. uh, We always like you're saying we've been in some gyms and and that we have no question about it. <laughs> Chris, always a blast. Uh, again, as Rich Hollenberg said earlier, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Really looking forward to uh, you. your, your induction coming up in April at the Final Four. But uh,
1: gracious of you to, to accompany me. Yes,
0: on that yes, show. it's going to be awesome. That's Speaking great. of road trips, we're making a cross country journey. It's going to be awesome, and uh, that, that yeah, might be man, a podcast I, in itself. Might have to record our show from from out there. Uh, that that will be fun to yeah. do. That'll do it for this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram, and we'll talk to you next time.